millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Shaky Show podcast here at Cadwell Park. Greg Haynes with you. But we've got a special guest with us to kick off the proceedings. So I'm going to hand you over to Shaky. And Shaky can introduce our special guest. So, Shane, how are you? I'm pretty cool, to be honest. Um, it's been a long day. It's been a bit of a different day to what we expected, um, certainly from a results point of view. And uh, one of the people, actually, that's had a, a bit of a tough day, so I'm pretty uh, pretty chuffed to have him in here with us, is uh, my, how can I put it? The guy that nicked my ride? Is that fair? <laughs> is that, is that fair? Um, we got we got Scott Redding with us. Yeah, um, yeah, could say that, stole your ride, but, you know, hopefully you can come back soon and uh, battle with us. Well, listen, let's, uh, that's, that's by the by. Um, just want to have a quick catch up with you. Um, you know, you and I speak a bit and try and, try and you know, help you out and give you some pointers now and again with, with things of tracks and stuff like that. But um, what's, uh, what's been the main difference for you, you know, talking about the, the difference between, um, you know, coming from what, a MotoGP or, or wherever, uh, Moto2 to the, to the BSP Championship? You know, how, how are you finding it? Um, I haven't found it too bad to be fair because coming to a superbike felt to me like a big Moto2 so I could use my natural riding style which worked very well in Moto2 World Championship that kind of worked directly well with this bike and this tyres with this brake sort of thing um, and having no electronics is something that I favour a lot like I like that it brings out true riders you know get full full control from the rider side more than the electronic side um, and the racing is pretty awesome you know I do like to have good racing you know you see different manufacturers at different tracks being up there it's a very level playing field um, and I think that's good but it just took me a little bit by surprise some of the tracks like Alton like Cadwell which took me a little bit more time to learn you know like a lot of people forget I haven't rode any of these circuits in the UK so you know I've been going to new circuits back to back for a long time now and I think I've been doing good holding my own you know I've had a few poses I've done the double at, at Snet as well um, but some of these ones like Cadwell that are a little bit tight, nagery, awkward, jumping, you know, that's stuff that I've never done in my whole racing career. So I need a little bit more time to say adapt to the circuit and I need to change the bike. And it's a lot to go on with on your few practice and qualifying sessions. Mm. I think that, um, you know, watching you and, and, and seeing the, you know, the, the aura you like if, that you bring to the, to the BSB championship has been great. I think that uh, you've probably caught a few people by surprise, to be honest, because it seems like you give you five, six laps at a track and, and you're already straight on the pace. Is it, it, it looks like you, you thrive on, on learning new things. You know, you're constantly learning. Obviously, everyone follows you on Instagram and sees that you're always training, you're always pushing hard. You know, full send is, is, is your motto or whatever. But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, have you surprised yourself with how well you've got on with, with coming to places, how quickly you've picked stuff up? To be really honest with you, it hasn't, it didn't take me by surprise because mentally I was like, I know I can go there and be competitive. Like if the bike works, I feel comfortable. In my head, a circuit is asphalt and corners. Mm. Like there's nothing crazy. The things that took me was the mountain, um, Clay Hill, you know, stuff like that is stuff that I've never done that took me longer. Mm. But going to somewhere like Snet, um, I went out, I directly felt amazing. That was like a mini GP track. I could ride exactly how I want to, ride a little bit GP style. And, you know, I was just fast from day one. And that's what I like. And the people saying, you know, you're going to struggle on the small tracks, you know, Knock Hill, Cadwell. Oh, and I think I held my own, you know. I did a pretty good job to come through there. In the winter, I broke my leg and I wanted to do more riding on small tracks. But due to breaking my leg, I spent most of my winter in hospital. So it kind of put me back, but then it made me hungry to come back again. People doubting me, you know, you probably know from from yourself, when people doubt you, it makes you more hungry to try and try and be there. And that's what I kind of thrived on. I said already earlier in the year, like new tracks is the least of my problems. And people kind of laughed at me about it. But I said, that's, that's true. More for me is learning like the tires, how they are in the race, like trying to get off the start, you know, trying to overtake on such small circuits, learning it. That's the fun bit. That's the bit that drives me to come into new tracks and I actually enjoy it. So what, honestly, did you expect when you came to BSB? Did you expect the level to be at the level it's at? Did you expect it to be more competitive, less competitive? Did you, you know, what, what was your thoughts? I mean, obviously you haven't come from OGP back to BSB to to sit in BSB forever, right? You, you've got ambition, you're a hungry rider, you're 26 years old. Obviously, you probably want to be a world champion still. If you don't, you shouldn't even be competing, in my in my opinion. Um, you know, I still want to be a world champion now. I'm 42 years old and I'm smashed to pieces. But don't stop that that dream, that drive, that desire. Do you know what I mean? So where is BSB compared to where you thought it would be? To be fair, I, I was a little bit sceptical. Like, I didn't know. You know, it's the thing that I think was, is I think outright, I'm a stronger rider than everyone out there on a normal circuit. You take us to a normal circuit like Jerez or like somewhere like Snet or something, I can be outright stronger on my own with a gap. But the the thing for me is when I come to these British type circuits, the other guys have got developed this riding style which is quite energy save, it's quite good for changing direction. And in them areas is where they gain on me. So actually like the level of the British Championship is a lot higher, especially on the British circuits, you know? And that was for me where I thought, God, these guys, they are fast. You know, we was at the first test and, you know, I'd just come back from a broken leg and I wanted to be top, you know, and I was pushing my absolute limit. And O'Halloran was there, Mackenzie was there. The boys were like, you know, they were pushing me and I thought, these boys are strong. Like, I thought maybe I'd have a little bit in the pocket. Um, and in some circuits, I do, circuits that suit me back to what I've grew up on. I, I've got a little bit in the pocket I can control a little bit, but places like this, I'm just full Mac 10, full send all the time. And the boys are just still going a little bit faster, but the level is a lot higher than what a lot of people think, um, especially like on those circuits. That's what took me, I went not by surprise, but I just didn't think they'd be able to keep stepping it that bit more. I thought I might better get a little bit more than them, but they keep going with me. And I mean, that's what kind of makes it good and it keeps pushing me and they keep kind of, making me a better rider like I've learned so much more this year and I probably learned in the last three years of MotoGP and 
And like you said, like it wasn't to come to BSB to stay here for the rest of my life. I came back because I wanted to find the hunger for winning again and to be competitive and show people, put myself on the market to try and get a world superbike ride because I want to win a world title. That is, you know, I'm 26. That's what I want to do. Um, and I took a bit of a gamble. There's not many guys to step back from MotoGP to come to British Superbikes and try to challenge for the title in like the first year, you know, and people said, oh, I don't know. And I said, I've got no real other option. You know, if you give me a good bike, I believe I can show you race winning results. Um, and that's what I've had to do. And I'm trying to just show that talent and potential to get that world superbike ride. See, I'm so unprofessional. I can't remember how many races you've won this year so far because I've not, I've not checked it out. But you've won a few. I mean, the triple header, you know, springs to springs to my mind. Is there any rider out there that you've seen on the track so far? Bearing in mind we're both Brits, right? And and we want to see Brits do well. We want to see Brits go to world superbike. We want to see world champions, right? Any riders that you've seen out on track so far in your in your short BSB career that you thought, do you know what, that guy's got talent, or that guy's strong, or this kid could come through? Is there anyone that stands out for you? They've all got talent like they've all got talent they've all got skill they've all got most of them got a brain <laughs> um but it's hard to say i mean it's just because some riders are stronger in different areas different circuits like the bike works different i mean if you put i would say any of the top five guys on a good bike and world super bikes you know they they can be competitive when you look to the results that leon's doing it's showing the level of the british super bikes um but it's hard for me to to judge that because on these circuits i'm learning all the time so much but i do i think it's more knowledge that i've learned being in world championship for like 10 11 years like the race craft is on another level um and that's something where i have more than what they have which maybe is something if they went to world superbikes they would maybe suffer with like how to control a race or how to manage with the tire or how to plan you know like at donington i started back i walked worked my way through but then there's races like knock hill you've got to just keep attacking and I, it seems to be sometimes in the race i see very similar things which for them maybe it's not a good thing but for me racing i know like how some riders going to be in, in like moto gp in the past like you see riders have different strategies, but they are changing at the same time because they know what you're going to do. Um, so actually outright talent and rider skill, like a lot of the boys rode the Suzuka, did really well. The talent is there for a lot of these boys, but there's probably just the, the race craft of just racing here, me doing longer races. You know, you've done MotoGP, you know the score with it. And yeah, I was probably... at the back though when I was doing it. But it's the same thing. Like you still, <laughs> when even if you are there with a bike that ain't working, you still see like, different things the way they do the practice sessions the way they'll then go for it in qualifying and then they'll set off in the race maybe a bit slower than their build and it's just those things that maybe racing in britain which is i would say make it a little bit hard for me because i'm sometimes maybe overthinking and then boys just go out and attack straight away and they make the gap and i make it hard for myself to come back you'll see today like in race one i just couldn't get the bike working i set the bike up for a longer maybe a longer race distance than them but outright talent that a lot of these boys are strong given the choice then bearing in mind as we said 26 years old you're here now smashing bsb at the moment okay you've just lost the championship lead not that you probably want that rubbing in right this minute but um yeah, you're a, you're a strong proposition for the championship this year. Um, obviously, we spoke about the fact you want to be a world champion. What would happen if somebody said to you, Scott, you want to come back to, to MotoGP? Is that something you desire to go to or are we going to stick with Superbikes for a bit? Where, where do you see yourself going? What do you want to do? Um, I lost a bit of love for MotoGP, to be honest, just the way it was going with, I don't know, maybe politics and stuff like that, maybe due to result. Um 
I wouldn't be in a hurry to go back. I would only go back if you had a factory machine that can be competitive to win. Mm. You know, like end of last year, I almost thought about finishing racing. I wanted to retire. Like I was sick of it. I just like, I've lost what I had. You know, I was the youngest ever rider for many years. I've won races. I fought for a title and now I can't even finish top 15 in the MotoGP race. And it grinds on you. There's a lot of pressure and it keeps working away and you've got no, nowhere to go. No one to really understand your situation and I said at the end of the year give me a bike that can win and I'll show you that was my worst my manager I said if not I'm gonna stop because I'm really not myself now I'm myself if I had a MotoGP bike that can you know fight for top five I would give it a go you know I believe I've got the talent to do it you know it's just being on the right bike at the right time in MotoGP at the moment the bike's making quite a big difference more than the rider um, you see that with the likes, say, of Ian Oni coming from Suzuki, finishing top five to getting lapped in Austria. you got Zarko that was on the Yamaha, gone to KTM. He's quite far at the back. Shiring on the Yamaha, gone to KTM, struggling. So the bike seems to be showing more than the rider. Whereas here in BSB, the rider and bikes is very level, you know. That's kind of where I'm at. I wouldn't be in a rush to go back. I think World Superbikes with a good bike there, I can try and fight for the title. It's not going to be easy. The level is strong there, but at least to have a go, you need to have one of the best bikes. Well, if it's any consolation, right, listening to you then, it's really interesting for me because in 2006, I found myself in exactly the same situation, right? I was over it. Racing was you know, wasn't getting the results I wanted. I'd come from OGP, went back to BSP, and it didn't work out at all. I really didn't enjoy myself. And um, I, I once got interviewed, and Neil McKenzie was actually sat in on the interview, and he said something. I got asked a question of, um, you know, what's been your, your most memorable moment or something like that. And you know when you're having a rough time and things aren't going your way? I, answer, I went to answer the question, and Neil stepped in and said, his best times are yet to come. You know, he's going he's gonna to fly. Everything's going to be fine. And I kind of just joked with the journalist and was like, well, well, there you go. And since that point, you know, come back and won, I don't know, four or five titles and stuff. And, and you know, my career turned around and everything went really well. I know you're under pressure. You've got to go. You've got to go to London, haven't you, tonight? Um, but you're doing an awesome job here. Um, I hope the World Superbike thing works out for you. Fingers crossed the MotoGP thing will be one day as well um, on a good bike because, yeah, I think you're, you're smashing it and a great job and really appreciate your time after a tough day at the office this weekend. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's the thing. You just don't know what's around the corner. You know, you can be down deeper than anyone could imagine. At one time, you make a few steps, you make the right decision and you put yourself back in the game and realise why you actually race a bike and risk your life. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, it's nice to have the chat. Thank you for having me down. And we'll get on to the next race at Alton and have a little bit of forget of Cadwell. I'll tell everyone how rock and roll it is sat in some cabin with no lights on and <laughs> a couple of chairs. Send the Litty Committee crew. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Scott. I really appreciate your time. Nice one. Thanks, bud. Cheers, brother. Thank you. So uh, that was Scott Redding. He's just literally leaving as um, Greg Haynes is walking back in. Great to have a great to have a chat there with Scott. Another nice guest to have in on our shaky show, Greg. You don't really need me on this show anymore, do you? <laughs> yeah, sorry, mate, but you're out of a job. I mean, I've got I've got your phone, I've got your microphone, but um, yeah, no, I've just took over. A really interesting comparison, actually, between between both Scott and myself, because he said to me at the end of last year, he was pretty much at the point in his career where he actually thought about stopping racing, just giving in. Um, and he said to his manager, "Look, unless you give me a bike that that I can win on, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to race anymore." And I said, you know what, I found myself in a really similar situation in 2006 
where I got asked a question by a journalist whilst Neil McKenzie was sat in an interview with me, and uh, I got asked what was my you know my my best moment in racing or whatever, and Neil actually stepped in and answered that question for me and said his his best moments are yet to come. And and he was right, you know, I went on and won another four or five titles since that time and, you know, turned things around and, and things have been great. And, you know, Scott's an ambitious young kid. At the end of the day, he's 26 years old. He's come to BSB from MotoGP. That was a bold move, in my opinion. Um, I don't think he underestimated the, the task. Um, I think he's approached it in exactly the right way. The good thing for me is it seems like, um, you know, in him doing that job that he's doing, he's not dreading um, tracks, he's not dreading conditions, he's not dreading barriers being close, he's not dreading narrow tracks, he's he's actually thriving on it all um, you know, he's got completely the right approach in my opinion and that's why he's won as many races as he has so far this season and why he is probably you know, the main contender for, for the championship, perhaps to his to his teammate, Josh Brooks. BSB has freaked people out before, hasn't it? I mean, Sylvan Ginterly had a bit of a re-ad- readaptation coming back, didn't he? Davide Giuliano pretty much freaked out, didn't he, really, when he came back? And then he had the big crash at Brands. I remember Scott saying to me earlier this year, Shane, or the end of last year, I've got to win it. So, you know, what are you, what are you aiming for in that first BSB year? He said, I've got to win it, haven't I? And he sort of shrugged his shoulders because the pressure is on. But now the championship's sort of changed around a bit, hasn't it? Josh Brooks is ahead podium points wise and actual championship points wise do you see it going back the other way or is the momentum with Josh now because he's had a phenomenal day do you know what I think honestly and listen I'm, I'm paid to give an honest opinion um, I'm not just saying it because he's had a bad day and he's come and sat in on my podcast with me um, but he is a, a cut above the rest there, there's no two ways about it he's a talented kid you know, don't forget a few seasons ago he finished second to Mark Marquez in, a, in in Moto2 World Championship he's won Moto2 races against Mark Marquez he was the youngest ever GP winner for, for many many years the kid is talented right no question about it the one thing I do think is going to work massively in his favour now as we go back to Alton Park um, in three weeks time for the final round or final pre-showdown round of the championship. And obviously, um, we're going back to a track for the first time for Scott. Um, so he will have done his homework. He knows where the track goes now. He understands about them. Um, about the, we both grabbed the door there frantically because the, the, wind, the wind just took this big metal door and was about to make it sound, my podcast sound like Big Ben was chiming or something. Um, yeah, no, so he's going to go back to a circuit for the first time. Um, you know, it's a, it's a repeat performance, and he already knows where he's going. He already knows what to expect. He'll already have a setting for his bike. Um, I think we're going to see him now really up his game. And then we're going to go to, to places like Assen, you know, a track that he probably knows better than, than any of the other riders in this championship because, obviously, he spent all of his years in, in the Grand Prix paddock racing there year in, year out since he was 15 years old. Brands Hatch GP, obviously, he's been to before. Donington, he won at earlier in the year. Um, yes, momentum has gone Josh's way for a minute because Scott's had a bad day at the office, but um, all you can do is beat the guys that are on track, and, and Josh has done a great job today of doing that, as has Danny Buchan. Let's not forget Danny Buchan. What a great ride he had in the first race. But I think, honestly, we'll see uh, we'll see Scott's true colours. Um, maybe not necessarily at Alton Park, although I'm sure he's going to want to turn things around there, but certainly when the showdown starts. What's your opinion on the penalty? Andy Irwin's been given a back-of-the-grid penalty for the first race next time out, which, of course, as you say, is at Alton Park. 
a tricky one, really, I suppose, for Stuart Higgs and race control. You know, what do you do in that situation? Does the punishment fit the crime, in your opinion? Of course, it was an accident. He didn't mean to do it. It's unfortunate it's happened a few times with Scott Redding now, and Scott's very, obviously, very annoyed, for want of a better word, about that. But I don't know. Do you think the punishment fits the crime? I don't think, in all honesty, and you know, some people won't appreciate me saying this, but it wasn't a crime. Right. Um, you know, he didn't go... Andrew Irwin, right? In our in our show today and in the in the show at Fruxton, we've spoke a lot about how much he's come on as a as a as a refined package, right? Motorbike racing, as I as I know, is a very very dangerous sport, right? No two ways about it. There's no roll cage around you. There's no armor around you or whatever, and nobody wants to take somebody out, right? So, asking me the question, does the punishment fit the crime? I don't think. Andrew Irwin committed a crime. Andrew Irwin made a mistake and he put his hands up to that mistake, admitted he made a mistake. He spoke to me off air telling me exactly what had happened and I'm not defending Andrew Irwin. I'm not saying that, you know, it it wasn't his fault. He says it's his fault. He knows it was his fault, but he had a problem. He made a mistake and it wiped Scott Redding out. Scott's problem with that isn't that Andrew Irwin made a mistake and isn't that Andrew Irwin apologised for the mistake. It's that it's the third time. Every time Andrew makes a little mistake, it seems Scott's on the receiving end of it. And, you know, one time as a rider, you'll you'll take it on the chin and you'll be like, right, okay, no worries. Two times you'll be like, come on, you know, that's twice now. This this has to stop. But to get it third third time, obviously, Scott's going to be pretty, for want of a better word, pretty right um which is why i'm i'm pretty blown away to be fair that that you know seeing him down there having just had his chat with Stuart Higgs and you know saying to him yeah listen i'm gonna do the shaky show in a minute do you want to be a part of it and he's like yeah yeah, i'll come and do it so yeah no it's pretty cool of him to do that scott's overriding emotion having done a few interviews with him now for various people since the race ended it's not even anger it's almost disbelief he couldn't believe, he's like, what, again? Same guy again, I can't believe it. That seems to be the main thing for me, Shane. It's as though Scott feels Andrew's not learning from these things. And I really like Andrew, actually. We had him on the Full Throttle podcast last week. We had a great chat for well over an hour. Um, and he's a great guy. And funnily enough, I feel a bit bad about it, actually. We were talking about Snetterton last year. Do not mention the fact you spoke for over an hour, because all we keep getting told is that these podcasts need to be longer. I know, we, <laughs> we do. By the way, thank you very much, everyone, for all your nice messages we've been overwhelmed actually haven't we I know this sounds a bit sad but we have been overwhelmed by the response because we put out some tweets this week to send some questions in because we're always in such a rush at the end of a race weekend but we've got a load of questions printed out haven't we on a double-sided A4 piece of paper we've had questions from Instagram Twitter Facebook so yeah we've got through the main talking point I think of the day there we haven't really missed anyone else out for this weekend have we I mean we should talk about Josh Brooks though he did what he had to do he's taken the championship lead he's taken those podium points he has, yeah. I mean, Josh, you know what? Um, we joked about it on camera. Seeing Josh Brooks today after race two, he smiled more and looked happier um, after race two than I think him, I've seen him smile in probably the last six or seven seasons. You know, he, he was gen- genuinely, genuinely happy. Like that was, that was a guy that looked almost like he'd had the weight of the world lifted off his shoulders and, and could, could breathe, you know. He capitalized on, on a bad weekend for his teammate who's obviously his arch rival for the championship and yeah done done everything he needed to do but 
as did Danny Buchan, you know. Let's not forget, I, I, we spoke about Danny Buchan before and I spoke about him and said, you know, Danny Buchan needs to win a race this year. When you interviewed me for Motorcycle News saying, look, I want a, I want a piece on, on all of the riders. I want your thoughts on all of the riders. My opinion of Danny Buchan was, if he can find the confidence that he uses to ride a superstock bike and he can win a race this year, then he'll be fine. But anything less than a race win this year and things are going to be really difficult for him. Well, he's just backed that up with a second win now. And it wasn't a gifted win. There was nothing free about it. You know, he rode fantastically. He's been strong all weekend, done an amazing job. Um, Josh turned things around in race two and rode really well to take a win from Tommy Bridewell with Danny in third. You know, pretty much cementing his place in the, in the showdown. So I think we've got the top three places cemented now. Danny Buchan looking really safe. Um, Taz is still fifth, isn't he? And Andrew Irwin right on the cusp there in sixth place. And obviously, having to start at the back of the grid in race one at um, Alton Park in three weeks' time is going to make things tricky. Crikey, yeah, for the showdown battle, that's going to be immense, isn't it? Well, thanks very much again, everyone, for all of these Instagram messages, tweets, and Facebook posts you've been sending to us at Shaky Burn, or Shane Burn, and Greg Haynes, or Gregory Haynes, depending on which platform you're using. We'll just reel them off, Shaky. I don't know whether we can get through all of them, but uh, Matt Pluck on Instagram, first of all, says, Hi, Greg, loving the podcast with Shaky. Thank you very much to you, Matt, for listening to them. would like to hear you go into a bit of detail regarding bike setup, like what changing the swing arm length does to the handling of the bike, as well as how suspension changes affect handling. Uh, maybe get a team crew chief or a tech in for an episode. Well, I've had Scott Redding for this one, Matt. We'll have to try and get Giovanni, maybe Shaky or someone in for a future show. But yeah, what does it do if you change the length of your swing arm, suspension changes? How does it actually affect the handling of the bike? It's a really difficult um, question to answer because obviously, um, you know, it depends on the situation and, and the reason for, for the change. Like for argument's sake, if you were... Going to, uh, let's say you've got a problem with the bike stability-wise on, on brakes, right? What what you try to do maybe is you try to lengthen the swing arm because the longer you make the bike, the, 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 the more calm it's going to be on the brakes. But by lengthening the swing arm, at the same time, when you get back on the throttle, the the bike doesn't have as much grip on the tire as as it would do with a with a short swing arm so everything about um a motorcycle race bike setup is a compromise you know you're always trying to find that that fine balance you know cadwell park for instance we're sat here now in a hut with no lights on we're so rock and roll right but this place is is a track of two halves and if you watched you can see in race two for argument's sake how much stronger Tommy Brybell was in the first half of the lap compared to Josh Brooks and likewise how much better Josh Brooks was in the the more slower stop start part of the track you know from the bottom of the mountain through to the to the last corner now that will be basically um, one guy having his bike set up to be good through the fast flowing stuff and the other guy having his bike a bit more compromised towards hard braking and, and stability on brakes and stuff like that. You can't have both, but the overall best package is the one that's going to win. So, you know, to, to, to go too in depth with the, with the technical things is, is, is not, my, not my forte, but there's a, little, uh, there's a little taster. That could be an entire podcast of itself, couldn't it? Okay, let's reel through these really quickly. Uh, Matt Sparrow, so we've had Matt Pluck. I hope that answered that one, Matt, for you. Matt Sparrow on Twitter. Will Shaky sign with PBM as it looks like Reading will go to World Superbikes? Well, let's be honest. We all pretty much know that's going to happen, don't we? Bautista's signed with Honda. We know Scott Reading's going to go to Ducati. So there will be a PBM Ducati available here. Will Shaky Burn be on it? I'll tell you what. 
before I answer that question, how good would it be to see Scott Redding get a factory Ducati if that is the case? I don't know if it's uh, if it's done or if that's people adding two and two and getting six or whatever. But um, the, the perfect case scenario would be that obviously Scott can win this championship and then and then get promoted straight into the factory team in World Superbike. That would be amazing. If that happens, then, then fair play. His manager's done a great job for him and obviously it'd be a well-deserved one because he'd be going as champion. Um, will I sign for PBM again? No, um, is the is the straightforward answer to that. Um, that wouldn't be happening. But um, I don't even want to think about signing for anybody or doing anything until I've had my, uh, my next revision because... I got super excited in February when I went back to see my surgeon and thought I was going to get the all clear to, to be able to race this year, only to be told, actually, your your injuries haven't healed anymore at all. In fact, don't even bother coming back in another three months because, you know, it's, it's pointless. You're just putting your body through too much radiation by having CT scans and MRIs and stuff. So don't come back till September. So... I really want to be excited and I really want to talk about how I want to come back to racing, but I don't want to let those thoughts enter my head because if I do and I get told by the doctor in September, actually it's not going to happen mentally, that will destroy me. If you do want to send in questions, by the way, obviously we've got Facebook and Instagram, we've got uh, Twitter, it's at 67shaky and at Greg Haynes TV. I'm just going to jump to another one a little bit further down the list and we'll maybe go back up again from uh, Big Macca 1. If Shaky can't ride a motorcycle again, has he ever thought about uh, car racing? Obviously that leads on quite nicely from that PBM question. I can imagine you doing a bit of car racing. I know James Whitten's done a bit in the past, but a uh, very different kettle of fish, isn't it? Especially, if, I don't know, would it be like a touring car or something would be quite fun, wouldn't it? That definitely is a contact sport. Touring car? Are you kidding me? I want to I want to flip in. <laughs> I want to jump into uh, Lewis Hamilton's car and take Lewis Hamilton's wage and uh, do, do a yeah. few seasons of Formula One and then yeah. retire a very, very happy, very, very wealthy man. <laughs> is your neck strong enough for that, do you reckon, right now? <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> you never know, though. You never, never know. Philip Armstrong on Twitter. Hi, Philip. Did Shaky see Hickey's on board lap from the Ulster Grand Prix and what did he think of it? And he has, a, has he ever been offered or considered to go at road racing? Yeah, what's your take on road racing? My take on road racing is that it's, uh, it's a very specialist sport. Um, it's... I actually got offered many, many, many years ago the opportunity to go over and have a look at the Isle of Man and, and try and suss that out. But, you know, before my racing career really took off, I, I did a lot of testing and um, basically I played on motorbikes for Fast Bikes magazine and, and got paid for it, which was which was fantastic. But um, it was so much fun and it was such a kind of life-changing thing for me, you know, from a from a young kid from a council estate that didn't really get to, uh, to the edge of his county very often, you know, to be dragged off all over the world riding exotic motorbikes was was amazing so the fact that i enjoyed riding so fast on on the road doing those tests and stuff made me think do you know what if i if i turn my hand to road racing it's going to end one of two ways do you know what i mean and uh i'll either become a super successful road racer or you know end up flipping brown bread and uh, i definitely don't want to end up brown bread one question we got actually um that we'll pick up on is from joe reynolds on facebook she says hi greg um, so say hello, Greg. Hello, Joe. Um, I hope you're well. For the Shaky Show podcast, can you ask him before each race, did he have a ritual before that he did? And she's asking, will you be at the MotoGP this year? I won't, unfortunately, Joe. Hello, by the way. Joe, you know Joe, actually. No, unfortunately, I won't be at the MotoGP, which, of course, is at Silverstone this coming weekend. Just throw in there before I forget, good luck to Brandon Pash from MotoStar, who's doing a Moto3 wildcard. Uh, so no, I won't be, I'm afraid, Joe, but have a great time. Are you going to be there? I won't be there. No, I'll be, um, I'm actually going to be back in the UK thinking about it 
because um, I fly back to Spain on Tuesday. Um, I've got uh, a day's worth of work to do with with Matt tomorrow on the new book. Um, so we're going to go and be choosing a load of photos to put in the book. And we've got a bit more text to do and stuff because the, the actual script, the writing has to be submitted by the September the 1st. So we're about 80% of the way there and we've got a lot of work to do tonight after we live here tomorrow and then uh, sort the pictures and stuff. But getting back to Joe's question about the ritual, um, I actually did have a ritual, not, not, um, not anything that, that I, you know, was specific to, but just, it was just the way things went. And it kind of started with, um, you know, if my wife was at the races with me, she'd always get my underlayers out. Um, and she'd put them on the bed for me almost like in order. So it looked like a little man. So the socks would be at the bottom, you know, the under trousers a bit, the, uh, you know, and, and it, basically laid the suit out on the bed for me in the motome and then I'd put that on and then uh, I'd always take whichever set of levers because I generally had four sets of levers so whichever set of levers I was going to wear I'd always take off the hanger and for some reason I had this uh, I had this obsession with kind of holding the levers by the collar and kind of you know like if you were like flapping a towel almost like flapping the towel and then letting them land on the floor and then I'd put them on and I always always put my left boot and glove on first so that was my little ritual. For what it's worth, I always put my left, if I wear a glove, put my left glove on first. Always yeah, my left shoe on first. Motorbike. I have got a motorbike. No, but I always put my left shoe on first. What? Why did you flap out the... That's a funny one. It's not a ritual or nothing like that. It was just something that I found myself doing. And uh, yeah, I, once, I, once I started, I always, uh, I always carry <laughs> on with it. Well, there you go, Joe. That's a much better answer than I bet you expected. There's some classic questions here. There's a great one from Jeremy, Jeremy Williams. Williams. We yeah. thought we retweeted this in the week, didn't we? Yeah. R67 Shaky does he still have the wireless doorbell that we hid in his motorhome as a welcome to your new home Prezi in 2004 we had many months of fun with this watching Prof 31 you can tell us who that is now flapping running around trying to work out what the late night alarm sound was hashtag Sorry, not sorry. Oh, naughty Jeremy McWilliams. <laughs> Jeremy McWilliams is an absolute legend. He was my uh, he was my teammate in uh, in two thousand and four. And when I went to um, to MotoGP, I bought myself um, a brand new motorhome, um, a forty foot long, big coach thing with four slide outs, every option. You know, I went I went full factory, and uh, it's it's really a funny story, right? Because Prof 31 is is one of my one of my best mates. In fact, he was the best man at my wedding for me, Chris Lambourne. Mm-hmm. We call him Prof because when he was younger, he's he's pretty switched on. And when he was younger, he used to wear glasses, so he looked like a professor. So that was his nickname, Prof. But anyway, Prof is one of those guys that could do anything. Do you know what I mean? Fix anything, any little problem you had. He was the he was the man to go to. And we bought this motor. I bought this motorhome, and he was my he was my wingman basically. So he came to all the races with me, helped me sort all my stuff out. You know, we shared the driving in the motorhome and, you know, he'd set it up, help me wash it and do whatever else. And yeah, we just went and lived the dream for a year together doing this, uh, doing this most GP thing. But Jeremy, in his infinite wisdom, decided to put one of those wireless doorbell things into the motorhome one time when, when I wasn't in there. And, uh, you know, sometimes various times of the day and sometimes various things would be happening, <laughs> which I don't wish to go into. These, uh, these alarms would start going off or this bell would start ringing, right? So 
Jeremy and, and whoever he had in his motor home, because generally we parked next to each other, would be looking through the window. Not that we knew, but um, they'd be absolutely in hysterics watching Prof and I, like trying to kind of find where this alarm was coming from because the motor home had so many sensors and so many buzzers and, you know what I mean, um, gas detectors and carbon monoxide poison detectors and you name it, this motor home had it. And he put that flipping doorbell in there and played... Oh, I wreaked havoc for, for for months. One of those Del Boy ones that played music or something, or was it just an alarm? What no, kind of sound like, was it? It was like a proper alarm one, yeah. So every time <laughs> this alarm thing went off, I was like, oh no, there it goes again. I'll be on the phone to the motorhome company. There's oh, some really? alarm going off. And yeah, Jeremy would be sat in his motorhome absolutely wetting himself laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that's a good one. Right, we've got some classic questions here, some of these theory questions. Uh, we'll go for Jack as Penfold, first of all, Jack on Twitter. If you could race one bike, Shane, in any championship right now, so any bike in any championship right now, what would it be and why? I think that it would be absolutely fantastic to have a go in MotoGP on a on a you know on a competitive bike. I think that um, you know a, a lot of me um, is, is drawn towards Ducati. Um, obviously, I've had a lot of success with Ducati on superbikes. So um, maybe getting a shot on Davizioso's bike or something like that, just to have a little have a little ride around and see see how that was, and uh, yeah, try and try and perform on a top bike in that championship would be good. Some great questions here. There's two more we'll go through today. We'll uh, we've got a load more by the way. We'll try and go through more next time. We're not going to have a shaky show, you know. I don't think for a while unless we do one on the phone because I'm not going to be at Alton Park because we've got Portimao World Superbikes. So anyway, we'll sort that out. David Anderson on Twitter. I'll read through all these names very quickly because it's a great list. James Whittam, Carl Fogarty, Neil Hodgson, James Toesland, Colin Edwards, Jeremy McWilliams, Neil McKenzie, Scott Smart, Mick Doohan, Wayne Gardner, Kevin Schwantz, Keith Hewan, Troy Corsa, and Scott Russell. And David's question is, of all those retired racers, <laughs> this is going to be a controversial one, who would win in a one-make race such as the R6 Cup? Obviously, you're not on that list, so we can't include you on that one. That's an amazing list. There's going to be a lot of upset people after this answer. Train driver Dave is his nickname, and he's asking me a question like this. Um, you know, if you were to to put them all on a bike right now, obviously guys like Wayne Gardner are going to be quite a lot older than guys like Tozen. Yeah, but James has got a bad wrist, so he, he wouldn't be able to do nothing. Hodgson, maybe, he'd be, he'd be real fast, as would Colin Edwards. Um, you know, McDoohan... What a legend, Troy Corsa. He's still riding a lot, so yeah, a lot of depend on the on the timing and the, and the, and the whatever else. But um, I think that <laughs> I, I don't know the answer is is the honest answer. Um, but it's a pretty good pretty good group of legends. I'm just a little bit disappointed, David. If I'm perfectly honest, that I'm not on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, Dave. He's told you there. Uh, that's an incredible list, though. I mean, let's just say they're all at their prime. It's impossible to say, isn't it? Because certain riders suit certain bikes, certain circuits. I mean, you could run the same race twice. You'd get a completely different result, wouldn't you? It's impossible to say. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's there's a guy there that, that you perhaps wouldn't understand why he'd be held in the same regard as some of the others, and, and he'd certainly be last. I know that. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, as for, as for who first i had absolutely no idea you can tell me afterwards then who that one would be let's go to clive challenger's question now clive the welshman is a really great guy actually he's one of the photographers here in the bsp paddock doesn't come to all the rounds but always got a great story to tell when he does and of course takes some great shots as well and this is a really nice question from clive thanks for this looking back over the history of bsb who would shakey's two rider dream team be from all the guys who have raced in the championship excluding yourself 
What bike from over the years would you want to see them on? And who would you pick as your dream team manager? So any BSB bike we've ever seen, any manager and any two riders. Nice question, Clive. Thanks. Yeah, no pressure on this one, Clive. Thank you. Um, I've actually got to think about this. Um, Team manager-wise, I think it would either have to be Harvey Beltran, who owns the the Honda team now in BSB, or Colin Wright. Um, Both guys who've been really, really good to me. Um, In fact, the two best team managers I've had by far. You know, both have both have strengths and both have weaknesses. I love Colin Wright's to the pointness, and I love the fact that if you say, "Look, this is what I'm doing. This is what I think," he'd stand by you regardless. You know, if if you said red was red uh, when red was actually blue, he'd stand by you and say, "Right, okay, red's red. What have we got to do to make it blue?" Do you know what I mean? And and he was great like that. He was really good to me. As for the two riders, you know, there's been a there's been a lot of fantastic guys that have raced in BSB. When you when you think about it, we've had we've had the likes of. Anthony Gober in in BSB. We've had Troy Bayliss Bayliss in BSB. Troy Bayliss would definitely be one of them, actually, thinking about it. Yeah, Troy is an absolute legend. Um, Still gets out in the AMA, in the Australian Superbike Championship now. So I definitely have Troy Bayliss as one of the riders. Um, He actually worked with Colin Wright, and they they get on great. So that's another another link. So who would I make Troy's teammate? Let's throw a wild card in there and say Scott Redding. Oh, okay. Troy Bayliss and Scott Redding in the uh, shaky burn backed um, something uh, something Ducati, and they could race. Uh, what could they race? They could race my my V two back to back championship winning bike. Ooh, very nice. Yeah. Then that's... I'd see how fast I was. You see, I get a true <laughs> reference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the that's funny, isn't it? Because when people say you know the greats, whether it's um, Grand Prix racing on bikes or cars or whatever. There's different eras, aren't there? And I think you can say who were the greatest of their era, perhaps, but not always the greatest of all time because they're different cars, different bikes, different circuits, different technologies, different tyres, different everything. But yeah, nice one there. Right. I know everyone wants long podcasts. I'll tell you what, we want some love for this as well, right? If we're going to go on over eight minutes yeah. and I got Scott Redding in for us after he's had a bad day, then surely this podcast can deserve some love. Do you know what? I'm looking forward to listening back to the show myself because I genuinely have no idea what it was Scott Redding said when I had to run up to the TV compound. For anyone who's never been to Cadwell, by the way, we're working in the middle, aren't we? And it's like Snetterton. There's no bridge or underpass, so you have to cross the racetrack between races at certain times during the day. You have to run up a very steep hill. So that's what I was doing then when you were sat here with Scott. Uh, what else can we talk about then, Shane? Obviously, British Grand Prix is coming up this weekend. That should be quite close. Do you watch that closely? Do you watch MotoGP closely? I mean, Mark Marcus, for my money, is probably the greatest of all time, I would say, because he just adapts to every situation, doesn't he? He does, yeah, and he does it incredibly well, doesn't he? Do you know what? I, I have started watching um, MotoGP, especially this year, because, you know, I'm more than aware of the situation I'm in, right? I'm more than aware of the fact that next month I might get told that, that my motorbike racing career is over. I don't want to accept that and the door's still ajar, if you know what I mean. And all the time that door's still ajar, I'll never write off the thought of of coming back. But at the same time, if I can't be a motorbike racer, I want to be a a good television person, be it a pundit, be it a presenter, be it a broadcaster, be it a whatever. Mm. I want to get better at it. And there's only one way to do that and that's to to do it yourself and watch from people who, who are good at it, right? So... I've started watching the the MotoGP because you try to you try to do your homework, you know. You try to pick up on on uh, on on techniques that people use and 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 try to 
you know, to, to do that job well yourself. I mean, I'm learning, I'm brand new to this job and, and it's, and it's difficult for me. It's not easy. You know, people, people see you on television and think, ah, oh, you know, it'd be easy to just answer a question. But whilst you're answering that question, you might have two or three different people talking to you in your ear <laughs> and you might start an answer, right? You, I could say to you, right, Greg, what do you think about this? And you'll start your answer, right? And then I'll say to you, right, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. And if you just started a, uh, yeah. you know, just started a sentence that needs, 20 seconds to, to finish, but you're being told, go get to a break, go get to a break, stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. How do you get out of that? Yeah. And and that's one of the things that, that people perhaps don't understand about the TV thing and, and how difficult it actually is. So yes, I have started watching MotoGP. I have started watching World Superbike a lot more. I like to be a part of the World Superbike thing for Eurosport as well, um, because I want to be good at this job. Whatever I do, whatever I turn my hand to, I want to be good at it. Um, cool. I want to be as good as I can possibly be at it and, and you can only do that like I said by learning from other people so when you talk about Mark Marquez actually it's really interesting because I think he is a little bit like Scott in some ways in this championship you know he's a, a step above at the moment and yes there's guys that can beat him now and again but are there guys that are going to beat him over the championship that's a that's a difficult one to uh, difficult one to call What's great about Marquez as well, in my opinion, is he's just so exciting to watch, isn't he? He does crash from time to time. He's all over the place. You know, there's all, there's always drama wherever he goes, but he still wins the races. He wins the championships. And he works very hard on being flexible as well, doesn't he? Which sounds a bit silly, but every time he crashes, very rarely does he get hurt. And he works very hard on that to make sure that he doesn't get hurt because he knows he's going to come off at times. I think last year he crashed more than any other rider, didn't he, over the course of the year? It was a crazy amount of crashes over all the practice sessions, but he knows where the limit is, but he very rarely gets hurt. Yeah, no, he's a, he's an incredible talent, absolutely incredible talent. I'll tell you what we'll finish off with, actually. You, Greg Haynes, Hello. are the, uh, the Eurosport commentator, but you're also the Motorsport News journalist. So you should be <laughs> of fairly knowledgeable stature or whatever. Who's going to win the BSB title this year? That's a good question, isn't it? But what I do think is very good about it is that we, no one really knows. But now this, you've put me on the spot here now because there's a lot you of people are going to be... in every single podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So you think... Yeah. If you ask me who do I want to win the title, I absolutely I promise you. you. Yeah, I promise you. I don't mind. I honestly don't mind anyone. Um, who do I actually think will win the title? Right now... I'd have to agree with you and say Scott Redding, I think, just because of the way he's learned over the season. I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, I apologise, but I think it will be Scott Redding. I just think he's adapted, a bit like Marcus, he's adapted so well, hasn't he, to the scenarios this year. He's come in with an open mind. He's not looked at it as a sort of, I'm going down a step to a national championship, come from MotoGP, open-minded. My only criticism on that comment yeah. is that when this situation first became apparent yeah. he actually said that he didn't want to go to BSB because it was too much of a yeah. step down he said he'd never touched world superbikes with a bars pole once as well didn't he on the record yeah I mean it's it's funny isn't it we you know we've all been young once and we've always said, we all said stuff that we you know perhaps didn't mean and you know maybe ate our words at one time or another but you know for somebody who once said you know what I wouldn't go back to BSB is too much of a step down my god has he taken to it well yeah. but you could also say as well couldn't you to be fair BSB's done a lot for Scott Redding as well. I mean, the championship has revitalised his career. I think that's fair to say, don't you? Yeah. Where else would he have gone this year? Well, that's, that's well, I don't know, is the honest answer to that question. But I think that, you know, when, when Scott and I spoke at the top of the pod show, you know, we were saying, you know, the good thing about a championship is that 
you know, if you go to MotoGP at the minute, and he used some really good examples in MotoGP, right? He said the, the MotoGP bike determines the, the MotoGP result. He said, look at Andrea Iannone. He said he's gone from mm. being on the Suzuki and being in the top five mm. to being on another bike, which was very diplomatically put, and, and running around at the back. Yeah. He mentioned Johan Zarco, who was on the Privateer Tech 3 Yamaha, jumped on the factory KTM, and, and he's not having a good time at all. In fact, they've just parted company, yeah, haven't they? He's going to be leaving at the end yeah, of the year. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned Syrian, done exactly the same thing. Um, and it was the other example he used. He used one other example. So he basically said that, that the bike in, in MotoGP determines a result to a degree. Whereas here, like I always say, I think that the right rider on any bike can win races. Whether they can win a championship is another matter. But on that note, the championship's still four rounds away. and Just very quickly, though, it's going to be close, isn't it? Do you reckon it's going to be... It has to be Josh Brooks. He'll be the closest challenger, won't he? But let's be honest, as things stand, I know things can change with three races at Alton Park, but Josh Brooks is leading the championship. He'll be ahead on points if it stays like this going into the showdown. But will he be ahead on podium credits after the weekend? Because ultimately, that's, that's what matters. Basically, three guys have cemented their place in the showdown. Yeah. And the other three will be 100% done at the next round at Alton Park. The amount of podium points them three guys have, or them six guys have, will be what determines whether or not they can become champion. I think Scott's going to win, personally. I think Josh will be second. I think Tommy Bridewell should be third. Um, and obviously, we don't even know. Danny Bucken, Danny mm. Bucken or Tony Bridewell could be third. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. And then, uh, yeah. See how fit McKenzie is at Alton. He should exactly. be all right by then. We've got two weekends off. Yeah. Isn't that funny to say, right? Yeah, the guy's just broke his radius. He's had it uh, wired. He's had it screwed back together. He's got two weekends off now, so he'd be fine. Really. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you're going to tell your uh, your local doctor that you've uh, had your had your bones wired and screwed and pinned and whatever else, and you want to go back to work in two weeks' time, and they'll laugh at you and throw you a sick note for like four months or something stupid. But... This is BSB, this is Motorbike Racing, this is Greg Ains and Shane Byrne checking out. We're done. So thanks for listening on the Eurosport website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, many other podcast suppliers. But very quickly, what are you up to this week? So tomorrow, full day with Matt with a book. Um, so that's Monday? Yeah, that's Monday. Uh, Tuesday morning, I fly back to Spain. Um, I've got two days in Spain and then myself and my family fly back to the UK because we've got a wedding this weekend. Mm. Um, not personally, you know, we're going to a wedding. <laughs> um, and then, say, we uh, told Petra about that. Yeah, no, sorry, darling. Um, I'm marrying again, yeah. Um, then Sunday we fly back to Spain and we have that week until the following Sunday when we then drive back to the UK. Then the, back, okay. yeah because we took the car down this time um, and then we've got a couple of days to sort stuff out for the kids well, I think all their uniforms and stuff are all done and, and whatever else yeah. but just to to get settled back into to being back living in the UK again and then uh, yeah they go back to school and then yeah a week or so later I go off to hospital yeah good luck with that well I don't know if we'll have a shaky show or not before that but if we don't good luck mate with that one but I'm, we'll be in touch you know you rip your jeans by the way is that what's called fashion these days? Yes, Greg. These are not... Uh, what are them things called you're wearing? Apple bottom jeans or whatever. <laughs> Who's who sings about them? No, I'm just going to keep... He's singing that in his head now, but I'll just give you a bit of a recap as to what you've got to look forward to. Watch out for MotoGP oh, highlights on Quest. Um, Apple bottom jeans, sweet with a curl. He's got the whole world looking at her. She gets low, 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 oh, low, 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 low. That's low, one low. of those. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Greg, Greg's got... No, because... 
people, I'm a bit worried that I'll get signed up by some agent, then I won't be able to come and work in Eurosport no more because I'll be a pop star. You know, right? She hit the floor, it's that one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, that's it. Apple bottom jeans. They're not apple bottom jeans, though. They look <laughs> like a pair of... Actually, you are you are famous for wearing Donna T-shirts, Greg, so fashion is not uh, not your your forte at the moment, is it? No, it's not. I just commentate. Luckily, you only hear and not see me. I don't know if that's a good thing either, but anyway, <laughs> on that bombshell, we'll sign off. I'll see you very soon. Thank you. Cheers, Greg. Thanks. And thanks to Scott Ring as well, of course, for sitting in for those first 15 minutes. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Hello again, fashion guru Greg Haynes here. Don't know what he's talking about. He should have gone to Specsavers, shouldn't he? But thank you very much to Shaky Burn again. And thank you especially to Scott Redding for the first wonderful 15 minutes of this week's show. So thank you again for that, Scott. Hopefully you'll be back on the show again soon. And well, to be honest, with Shaky doing interviews like that, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around, to be honest. So a little bit worried about that. But in the meantime, a bit of a holiday for us next week. But Full Throttle Podcast will be back the first week of September as we get ready for Alton Park, BSB and Portimao World Superbikes. Remember that, the World Superbike Championship, bit of a long break over the summer, but that will be back as well with our only clash weekend of the year on Eurosport 2 and the Eurosport player. But from Scott Redding, from Shaky Burn and from me, Greg Haynes, bye for now and we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks' time. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.